If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 4, and uh, we're going to hang out at verse 23. And we are, we are going to start um, a, a new series today, and, and I, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how long this series is going to be. It might be two weeks, it might be eight weeks. We've never done an eight-week series, but who knows? This could be it. But what I don't want to do with this series is I don't want to rush it. And I don't want to do that thing that I do sometimes. If you've been coming to church here for more than a couple weeks, then you know that when I get really excited about something, I can just start preaching almost too fast for you to understand and, and get into two, three weeks in, in one message. And everybody's like, you said this series is going to be six weeks. And I said, well, I'm such a good preacher. I just did it in two. <laughs> now, did you learn anything? Probably not, because I was talking too fast. But uh, I, I don't want to rush this. And, and this, this conversation is about worship. It's about worship. Uh, and the title of the series uh, is going to be called The Heart of Worship. And that's, that is the heart of the series, is to look at the heart of worship, what worship really is, uh, the part that worship plays in our lives or should play in our lives in reality. Because uh, worship is one of those things that is significant uh, to the point that we don't really understand how significant it really is. If you were to ask most people in, in the American church, if you were to ask most people what the most important ministry is and, and what, what the greatest calling is and, and what, well, you know, what, what's the, the mission of the church, what are we supposed to be doing more than anything else, what takes priority, most responses would be some level of connection to the Great Commission. It would be some level of connection to go out into all the world and take the gospel and uh, baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, go out and be witnesses into all the world um, and, and to evangelize and to be a light in the darkness and, and, to, and to reach people and to change culture. And, 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 and most of the responses would be something connected to that, outreach and missions and evangelism and feeding the poor and, and, and clothing uh, you know, those who need clothes and, and, and ministering to the homeless and, and doing all these things. And, and, and th those are all incredibly important, uh, massively important. This was the great commission of something that Jesus commanded us to do. But the question that I asked was, what is the greatest ministry of a believer? What is the greatest priority of the church and the greatest priority of the church has nothing to do with people and everything to do with God. That the greatest calling that is in the life of a believer is to minister to God, is to worship to God, is, is to serve God and to walk with God in humility and to worship him in every way, shape and form, to love him with all of our hearts, our soul and our minds. And, and, and I think that a lot of times in, in, our, in our modern lives, in our modern world, that we forget the power and the priority of worship in our lives. And we underestimate what worship really is. And I heard a preacher say this one time years and years and years ago, and I got what he meant, and I agreed with it, and I, and I believed it, but it was one of those things where I didn't fully understand it. But as I've walked with Jesus now uh, for, for many years, and, I've, and I've, I've been involved in ministry, and I've pastored uh, this church, and I've, I, I've just gotten, as I've grown in Christ, this thing, this idea that I heard a long time ago has become so real to me, especially in the last few weeks, uh, that the reality of needing missions and needing outreach and needing evangelism needing salvation only exists 
because we broke the main priority of our lives and our existence, and that is to worship God. The reality of it is, and if you go through and you read Romans uh, chapter one, uh, the book of Romans, if you've never read it, it's an amazing book to go through. If you're, if you're a newer Christian, uh, Romans one's a great book to go through um, of the Bible. It, it lays out what some call the, the Roman road or, or the, it paves the way in just the most detailed, uh, congruent thoughts of salvation all the way from the creation of the world to the entrance of sin, all the way to the cross, to being filled with the spirit, to laying our lives down as living sacrifice sacrifices and all the way out. Romans is a powerful book. And if you go to the, the first chapter of Romans, one of the things that, that I think gets missed, you read it, but it's one of the things that gets missed is that we kind of tend to think that sin is the thing that screwed the whole world up. And it is. But the door that sin got through was a broken uh, uh, heart of worship. And if you go through it and you, and you read what Romans 1 actually says, starting in verse 18, going through the first few uh, verses down to the end, that it, it lays out this thing. It says that, that mankind, that humankind, that people, that the men and women that God created, that the creation, they saw certain things that were epically, obviously, and plainly true about God. They, 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 they knew that they existed because they were, they, 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 I think therefore I am, philosophy 101. I, I was so good, philosophy 101 in college, I took it twice, okay? It, I'm a brilliant philosopher, all right? But I do remember, I think therefore I am, right? It's the idea that you exist because you exist and you know you exist because you're aware that you exist. Anybody understanding why I had to go take it twice because I showed up to the first class? I was like, this is so good, I'm probably not gonna come back the rest of the semester. And then they were like, that's not how it works. So, but the reality of it is, is that, that you exist because you exist and you know you exist. And you see the, the greatness of the mountains. You see the vastness of the oceans. You see the vastness of creation. And Romans 1 says that all of humanity from day one, all of humanity has seen this and they know this and the invisible qualities of God has been made clear through the creation. And, but that, that the human heart, the human mind, that though we saw the vast greatness of the oceans and we saw the depths of, of the world and we saw the beauty of creation and we saw each other and we knew each other and we knew that we existed, therefore we knew uh, without a doubt that, that something greater than us put us here, that there is a creator, that we denied that creator and that we did not glorify him as creator, that we did not honor him as creator, that we did not acknowledge him as creator, that we did not worship him as creator, and that we actually turned our worship to the things of the earth or to the creation itself. And the Bible says in Romans that it was this, it was this not acknowledging God and giving God glory for who he was uh, that actually led and opened the door to a depraved mind, to a hostile mind, to sin, uh, to wickedness and to evil. That, it, that, that sin didn't come in and break a covenant of of worship, that a covenant of worship was broken and then sin entered in. And that we have to really understand that. And if you go all the way back to Genesis 1, you see this ex play out exactly as God told us in Romans uh, chapter 1. You see Eve uh, in this conversation that the enemy has with Eve, uh, that, that what he does is he twists the truth and he lies to her. He gets her to, in her heart, within her heart, to doubt God. Not to doubt his, his existence, not to doubt, but to doubt his goodness. To, to think in her mind for just a moment, he is not worthy to be trusted anymore. He's not worthy to be loved. That, that, that he's not worthy to be called good. That there's something about God that is not perfect. 
And it was this, this change of heart within her, this, this belief within her that, that broke, that opened up the door for her to be tempted and then to sin. That the greatest victory of the enemy was that he caused the, the heart of worship in Eve and in Adam to be broken and then sin entered into the world. This is what you see in, in, in uh, Jesus' time in the desert uh, when he was being tempted by Satan himself, that the ultimate goal of Satan was to get Jesus to bow his knee down to him and to attribute worship and worth to him instead of God. That this is the ultimate goal of the enemy. The enemy knows that if he can, if he can take your heart of worship and he can put it on anything else, not even himself, anything else other than God, then he is winning the battle of your life. Worship is a significant thing. It's significant. And it's more than what we think it is. It's more than Sunday morning. It's more than just corporate worship. It's definitely more than, than songs and music, though songs and music are powerful, can be a powerful part of worship. It's, it's greater than that. It's more than that. And Jesus talks about this in John 4. He opens up this conversation about worship, and he says some things that are, that are pretty epic and that I think are important as we start this conversation in, in worship. If, if you're not familiar, John chapter 4 uh, is, is, depicts a, a moment that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman. It's a very well-known uh, story that, that Jesus, they've been ministering and traveling all day, and they get to this well near Samaria, uh, and uh, he's hungry, and the disciples leave to go get food. While he's sitting there next to the well, a woman uh, shows up. Uh, she's going to get water. He engages in a conversation uh, with her, uh, basically where he just uh, starts to speak to her about deep and spiritual things. Finally, he opens up the door. Uh, to the conversation of salvation and, and, and uh, you know, everlasting water and, and, and you know, thirst, uh, you know, the salvation, his spirit being in us and, and, and never thirsting again. And he's, he's in this conversation and eventually he reveals himself to be the Messiah to her. Uh, the Bible says that she puts down her water pot and just abandons what she was originally there for to run back into the town to tell everybody about Jesus. Uh, they have a conversation about her five husbands and the fact that she's not married now and just a, a lot of Jesus stuff. It's a great conversation. You could preach a whole year just off, off the, the messages that are delivered and the conversations delivered here in John 4. But right in the middle of this conversation, he's, he, he steers the conversation to worship. And he, and he starts to make some statements uh, that, that really change the game and, and, and change uh, the concept of, of worship really for, for most people, most of society up to this point. And it's, and it's epic. It's a, it's a powerful statement. And, and I want to look at it. This, this is, they're having this conversation about worship. And then in verse 23, he makes this statement. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for they are the kind of worshipers. The father seeks God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus, he starts this conversation, or in the middle of this conversation, he, he steers it and starts a conversation about 
worship. And in the heart of the message today is I want to make sure that we know what worship is according to what the Bible says that worship is in its truest extent. Because worship is one of those funny words where it carries a massive amount of meaning, but it's also hard to really put into to truth what it is. In fact, if you were to go and you were to Google uh, what worship was, uh, and you, you would get a, a, you know, a Webster's definition of worship pretty quickly, but if you were to start kind of going through theological views of worship and theological definitions of worship, it is hard to find. Uh, they're all similar, but it's hard to find a definitive thing because worship, uh, though it is simple in nature, uh, it is complicated in expression, uh, and so it's difficult for people to really wrap their minds around it. And, and and, and I think that that's the power of it. I think that that's the, the, the epic truth of worship is that it is, that it is so simple in one extent, but that it is so deep that it is just simply hard for our minds uh, to really wrap around what it is. But at the heart of worship, the, the, the truth, just foundational truth of worship is that worship is basically just ascribing worth or value. That that's what, in its truest sense, that's what all worship means is that, that, that you, there's something in life that you say that is worth something, that's valuable. And then what you worship is the thing that you think is most valuable or you think has the most worth. You ascribe it, you, 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 you believe it in your heart and in your mind and you express and you live your life according to that. I think, you know, God is the most valuable. I think God is worth more than anything else in the universe. Therefore, I'll worship him. I'll, I, you know, I think... Uh, friendship is the most valuable thing in the world. Or I, I, think that, I think that money is the most valuable thing in the world. I think that, that religion is the most valuable thing in the world. I think that my career is the most valuable thing in the world. I think that family is the most valuable thing in the world. That whatever you think is the most valuable thing in the world and in the universe and in your life, that by nature, that belief will carry a, an expression, an action, a, a, a goal, a heart, a mind towards that, and you will live your life out according to that. There's a few truths that I just want to hit really fast about worship. You worship something at all times. You were created to worship. The Bible teaches this. It reveals this. We see this in our heart and in our life if we're really honest with ourselves. It is not a matter. The conversation of worship is not that you will start worshiping. You are already worshiping something. That's how you're created. That's how you're made. You are always worshiping something because you always think at any given moment there is something more valuable than anything else, and you're living your life according to that reality. The, 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 the truth is, and this is why that it's such a difficult conversation, uh, because uh, what's natural, especially for believers, especially for Christians, especially for people who grew up going to church, it's very, very difficult to have this conversation because in your heart and in your mind, you hope, you hope, and you want, you want it to be true that you really do worship God, that you really do think that God is, is worth more than anything else, that you really do think that God is the most valuable thing in the universe and in existence, but then our lives sometimes would tell a different story. And so one of the, the, the things that Jesus is about to hit on is the connection between uh, what we truly believe in our hearts and in our minds versus the expression that we live in our life, how we express that reality. And this is why it's hard to define worship and talk about what worship really is, because in your heart and in your mind, it's difficult for you to really accept what you truly worship. 
It's difficult for us to really isolate it down. It's a hard conversation to have. Even right now, there's people in the room that are uncomfortable. If you're not a believer, you're probably not uncomfortable. You're probably just playing games on your phone. But if you're a believer, this is a very uncomfortable conversation because when you start talking about worship and you start talking about the, the, the heart of worship expressing itself in your life and you were to work backwards, most of the time you would come to this place where you're, you, you start to realize, though I believe in God and though I, I know that I'm saved and though my faith is in Christ, I might not truly believe that God is the most valuable thing in the universe, that I might not truly believe that he is worth more than anything else in the universe. And this is why worship is such a difficult conversation. This is why we wanna take worship and we just wanna make it be a couple songs on Sunday morning. This is why we just, we wanna we want make it be, you know, we, we wanna try to make it smaller than what it is. Worship in reality is the essence of our existence. God created us in, in the most natural, true, righteous relationship between the creation and the creator is one of worship, is one of, of, of true internal acknowledgement of God. And so I, I want to I read this, and I, I want to I talk about it, and I want to take our time, and I want us to really to really grasp this. He says, yet a time has come and has, not, has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So he says, in spirit and in truth. The, the, the spirit, this is, this is the, the heart of, 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 of what Christ is teaching is that true worship is an internal spiritual reality. That true worship is an internal Reality, that it's something that's going on in you. God is spirit, meaning that, that God is more than just physicality, that God is spirit, that you and I are spirit, that you and I, in our truest sense, we are eternal beings. We, we, are, we, we will exist forever, whether with God or without God, whether connected to God for eternity or separated from God for eternity. We are uh, eternal beings, that, that, that we have a spirit inside of us. We have an eternal part inside of us. Uh, and, and this is such a compli uh, complicated part of us that there's still atheists, scientists who debate uh, this reality that there, there's, there is, it's, everybody's aware that there is something more than neurons firing off in our brains, that there's something inside of us, that true worship is, is going to take place and going to happen inside of us long before it's expressed in a physical way. That the expression of worship, that, that, that's why worship, again, is hard to define and talk about because most of the time our mind goes to the expression of worship, to, to the way we physically worship, to the way that we show what we believe inside. But worship in itself, the essence of worship in itself is an internal spiritual reality. It's something that's going on literally in your heart, literally within your mind. It's something that, 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 that is happening in here. And when you, when, you, when you come to terms with in here, that it's all happening in here, that everything that's going on outside is going to be connected to that in some level. But that true worship, that real worship, that, that, that worship, the worship that God actually seeks, true worship, it's not external. It happens inside, that it's, it's spiritual, that there's something going on inside your heart. 
And he says that, that, that it's not just spiritual, it's not just internal, but that true worshipers, the worshipers that God seeks, the, the worshipers that Jesus uh, is talking about, the worship that, that Jesus is saying is now available. He says it's not just spirit, it's spirit and it's truth. And this word truth, this, this, changes, this changes the thought of worship a little bit. Because he's saying not just internal worship, but internal worship, true spiritual worship, heart worship, connected to truth. And that word truth literally just means truth. It means reality. It, 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 it means what truly is, not your perspective of reality, but what reality actually is, just truth. And he says that true worship is an internal uh, reality and internal belief and internal uh, uh, idea in our hearts, in our minds, in the depths of who we are, and that it's connected to actual truth or it's connected to reality. And this is literally this is this is what it this is what it means. And I'm, this is just in my words. This is this is and I've I've, I've prayed for uh, this week to be able to deliver this one sentence in a way that we can grasp it. That that. The essence of worship is simply what we know to be true about reality and that in our hearts, we acknowledge that reality. That's it. That we know what is true and that whatever is true, now this is the, this is the conversation, whatever is true that we inside, internally, we simply acknowledge that reality that we value truth. And this is where people get themselves in trouble. This is where, 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 where worship can get hijacked. Because if we're not careful, we, we believe and we start to operate according to what we think is true rather than what is actually true. And for a believer, for a believer, then we know that what the Bible says is true is true. And if we believe what the Bible says is true and we believe that and we know that it's true, we know that God is God. We know that God is creator. We know that God is savior and we know that God has filled us with his spirit. We know that God has adopted us as sons, as daughters, that we know the truth, that that truth that we internally then, that we would simply acknowledge that truth, acknowledge that reality and live our lives according to it. That somewhere within that conversation is truly the heart of worship. That worship is your heart's response to God's reality. That that's what worship is. That, 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 that worship is your heart simply acknowledging and responding to the fullness of God, of who God is and what God has done and specifically what God has done for you. That this is true worship that it's an internal response. It's the heart's response to truth. Now, this is, this, this is, this is where I, we, could, we could preach for, I could preach for 10 hours, 10 weeks, 10 years, 10 days. Or I could stop right here and, and never talk about it again. And you would simultaneously have enough to always worship Jesus fully and completely, yet you would lack enough to ever truly do that. Because God's knowledge, God's truth, it's infinite and beyond what we can fathom and understand. That, that who God really is, the depth of God, is beyond what we can understand. That means that, that, that internal worship, 
that there will never come a time when we will give God enough worship that we'll never be able to truly worship God in a way that he's worthy of because we'll never be able to truly understand his magnificence, his beauty, his power, his strength. So we have to start with what we know to be true about God. And this is the heart of what Jesus is laying out. And I wanna take you to this sentence. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. Yet a time is coming and now has come. So what is shifting and changing in reality as Jesus is having this conversation? Because he's saying, he's saying there's, there's a time that's coming when true worship will be available to human, the human heart. When true, authentic, genuine worship, the worship that was the, 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 which the world was originally created for, it's now about to be available. In fact, it's available right now. What shifted and what changed in the world? It's Jesus that changed. And now I'm, I'm gonna share something with you just for a second. And I really want, I really want you to hear me. And I want to take my time with this. And I don't want us to miss this. We're going to spend as much time with this series as we need. But I would argue that the most important part of this series and potentially the most important part of of any message ever preached in the history of the church is going to be connected to the things that we talk about for the next few minutes. Romans 1 reveals to us that where worship lacks, sin abounds. It it, it teaches us that that sin entered the world because there was a lack of worship that took place because the, 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 the most righteous, the most powerful reality is when, when the creation, the heart of creation is in full submission and worship to the creator. And when that breaks, and when that bro- that's what opens the door to sin, that it was a broken covenant of worship that opened the door for sin, that, that, that sin came in and destroyed uh, human society and the world, that it, that it was a lack of, of worship that opened up the door and that really broke reality. Sin is the disease Right? But the lack of worship is what caused the disease. And the reason why this is so important is because the way that the Bible describes the life and death of Jesus Christ, it describes the life and death of Jesus Christ as an offering and a sacrifice that was pleasing and a sweet aroma unto the Lord. That, that, that the Bible says that Jesus came and that Jesus' life and his death was an offering and a sacrifice. It was an act of worship unto the Lord. So an act of worship or the lack of an act of worship, broken worship is what opened up the door to sin and it was Jesus Christ establishing true, genuine, authentic worship that actually opened up the door for sins to be forgiven in this world. The, the reality of it is, and this is the part where I think that we just, if you're a believer, again, if you're not a believer, like then, then, then just listen and hang out. It'll be over soon. But if you're a believer, the, the things that we're, we're talking about carry a heavy weight, a beautiful weight of freedom, but a heaviness. Because the, the reality of it is, is that Jesus did not have to come to the earth. 
He did not have to come down from heaven. He did not have the word of God. The Bible says in John 1 that he was the word of God and that the word of God was with God in the beginning and that the word of God is God. And John 1, 14 says the word of God became flesh and he dwelt amongst men, that he was Emmanuel, he was God with us. That the creator of the universe, the perfect creator of the universe, the son of the living God, uh, the, the, a, a God that we can't imagine, the beauty, the majestic, the greatness, the power, the strength, that Jesus did not have to come, but that the Bible says that he humbled himself to obedience down to this earth, that he came down to this earth when he did not have to. We destroyed the earth with our sin. We destroyed the, uh, reality with our sin. We destroyed the universe. We, we brought a curse upon the earth. We are deeply evil and wicked people. I know that it's a struggle to talk about, but if we just go through, if anybody got through eighth grade history, it is abundantly obvious that the human race uh, left to themselves, the sin and the wickedness knows no bounds. That, that war uh, and genocide and rape and the darkest things of life, that is what the human race created. That, that, that comes out of the sinful heart of the human, human heart, the human mind. And Jesus stepped down out of heaven into that as an offering to God and for us. And he did not have to do that. He could have just let us go, but he didn't. He came as an offering. He came as an offering to God for us. And in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when you see the words offering and sacrifice right next to each other, they almost always, the offering is almost always a living offering, a non-blood offering, a sacrifice is always a, a blood offering or something that dies. And it says that he came as an offering. And, and, and I think that this is the, the power of this. Just the fact that God came, that Jesus came to the earth was significant. But then he went beyond that. And he actually became not just an offering unto God for us, he became a sacrifice as well unto God for us. That, that the, the, this is the heart of what I want us to un understand that Jesus coming to the earth was an offering, a sacrifice. Jesus coming to the earth and dying for our sins was the first genuine, authentic act of worship unto God that God received since Adam and Eve prior to sin. That Adam and Eve, that they worship. And if you go through and you read Genesis and you look at the way God created, he had the heavens and he had the earth and he had Eden, but then he had the garden in Eden. And it says that he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, that the garden of Eden was like the first sanctuary. That, that, that this was what life was, that God wanted life like this, that God gave us the world so that we could live in it in peace with him, that we could know him as king and as father, that we could love him, cherish him, Enjoy the work of his hand. Enjoy the work of, uh, of God's just intelligence and his knowledge and his wisdom. And that given all of the stuff that we got, that we rejected him as God, and then we chose sin, and it screwed everything up. And instead of throwing us away and giving up and starting over, 
God made a way for us. That's why in Revelations, Jesus is called the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth, that, that God knew who we were gonna be and what we were gonna do, but he had already paved the way for us to begin with. That, that Jesus came. Listen, and I, and I need you to understand this. Jesus came not just for a love for you. Jesus came of a love and an adoration for his father. The Bible says that God sent Jesus out of love and that Jesus came and obeyed out of humility and adoration and worship of the Father. That Adam and Eve, they, they broke that heart of worship and allowed sin to enter the world, but that Jesus came with that humble heart of worship, true heart of worship, and he made a way for us. He came as an offering and then he died as a sacrifice. That he, he took on, I think we underestimate our own sin, we just do. We don't understand that the separation between us and God was an act of God's protection because he knew that in the same way darkness cannot exist in light, it just can't exist in light. If we were to turn all the lights off, there would be darkness. But the second even the smallest light comes on, darkness has, uh, no, has no choice, it just dissipates because darkness cannot, simply cannot exist around light. That's how sin is around God. Sin can simply not exist around God. And when we chose sin and we chose rebellion, we, we were induced with this curse of sin. And so we could not be in the presence of God, that by us being sinners, being in the presence of God, we would simply die and dissipate. But God separated us from himself, not as an act of punishment, punishment, but his act of mercy and love so that he could pave a way for the cross so that the sins in our life could be paid for so that we could be righteous so that we could be back in the presence with God. And that what did that was an act of worship on behalf of Jesus Christ. That's why they call Jesus Christ the high priest because he came as his entire being came as an act of worship to God. He came as an act of worship to the Father. Jesus who knew no sin became sin, not just for you, but for you and in adoration and worship to God. That existence exists because of worship, that salvation exists because of worship, that eternity exists because of worship. And the, and the enemy is gonna do everything in his power to convince you that life is about anything else other than the worship and the adoration of God as Father and as King. We, we underestimate worship. We don't understand the fullness of what it is. We were created by a creator and the most natural, righteous life is that of a one of worship unto God. And to live outside of that, that's what gives way to unrighteousness. It breaks the system. And so when Jesus says, a time has come, or a time will come and now has come, that right now he was saying, listen, everything else has been the shadow of real worship. It's not been the real thing. But the real thing is about to be made available because I've already come as an offering and I'm about to be a sacrifice. And when I do that, that, that act of worship to my father, that's gonna pay the price for all of sin. And that's gonna open up the door for the creation to truly be in a relationship with God and a true relationship with God is a relationship of worship. It is a relationship of worship. And so when I hear people talk about, you know, the will of God for my life, the will of God is for you to worship him. The will, we worry way too much about the expression instead of just the reality. God's will is for us to worship him. 
God's ultimate will is that every facet of our life would be an act of worship to him and that it can be, that it should be. And I believe that for many of us, it will be if it's not already. That the most satisfying, peaceful life you will ever live is one that is humble, adoration filled with worship unto God. That, that it will turn your nine to five career into something that you can't imagine when you start to do it as an act of worship to God. That marriage will start to make a lot more sense because let's be honest, sometimes it don't make any sense. Because sometimes I'm like, I, God, I don't, I don't know about this. I don't, I, I think you missed, I don't think I was supposed to, I'm just not a good husband. It'll start to make a lot more sense when it becomes an act of worship. Calling, purpose, friendships, relationships, life, the world, everything. Everything starts to make sense through the lens of worshiping God. Outside of the, len the lens of worshiping God, nothing makes sense. That's why we have so much confusion. That's why we have so much uh, lack of peace. That's why people, we struggle through life. Even Christians struggle through life because we underestimate the power of worship. We are supposed to worship God. That's how we're supposed to live. And I wanna close with this one thought. I know what a hard message this is to hear for some people because it's abundantly obvious the second that I started speaking that not all of us live a life of worship unto God. But I wanna show you something that's such a powerful act of mercy from our God. In, in, in uh, Numbers 28, I encourage you to go read Numbers 28 on your own. In Numbers 28, it goes through uh, the God's appointed times of worship. He goes through the daily. He says, in the morning, stand with thankfulness and praise, and in the evening, stand with thankfulness and praise. And then he talks about the Sabbath worship, once a week. And then he talks about the, the new moon or the monthly, the first day of the month, monthly worship. And then there's, there's these big feasts throughout the year, these appointed times of worship. And, and all of them, that word, that sweet aroma, that pleasing aroma to God, it, it go, it's like 20 times just throughout the, all of 28. And there's a lot to this, but as I was praying this week, the Lord brought me to this and I was, had a heavy focus on this. And I was like, why God, why? I know that we should live a life of worship. I know, I know that. So why have these appointed times? If, we're, if all of our life is supposed to be worship, why have the morning and the evening? Why have the once a week? Why have these appointed times, this once a month, at the end of every month, the beginning of next month? Why have these, these moments throughout every year that you appoint? And I felt, and I, and, I, and I remember in my prayers, I said, God, is this for you? And almost, I heard the Father, the Lord said, no, this is for you. It's to give you the opportunity to have a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly opportunity to enter back into a relationship of worship. He said, I, they're not for me, they're for you. Every morning when you wake up, no matter how you lived your life yesterday, this is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. This is the sufficiency of the cross. This is the sufficiency and the effectiveness of the love of Jesus. Is that if, if you murdered someone yesterday, God still loves you today and you can enter back into a relationship of worship to him. That every morning you have an opportunity. When you wake up, you have an opportunity. When you go, before you go to sleep, no matter how you lived your life, before you go to sleep, you can enter back into a relationship of worship with him. Once a week, God calls it the Sabbath. You can enter back into a relationship with the Lord. Once a month, you can enter back into a, once a year. God established these times. 
to give us the opportunity out of his grace, his mercy, his love, and his patience for us, that no matter where we are and what we lived up to this point, that every moment, any given day, we can enter back into a true relationship of worship with God. To me, that is powerful because that says God knows and he loves you and he's patient with you. And he says, I'm gonna give you a new opportunity every day. And I believe right here, right now, you have one of those opportunities. If you've drifted, if, if your heart is drifted from living for Christ, truly living for Christ, not salvation. This is not a salvation conversation. This is a worship conversation. Salvation is what makes it possible for us to live a life of worship. If you've drifted, enter into that moment, enter back into that relationship of worship. And even if you don't know what it is, be honest with God. God, I don't really know what worship is. I don't know that I've ever really lived a life of worship, but Father, in this moment, I know that you're worthy of it and I wanna do it, so help me begin. And I promise you, he'll start to help you. I believe the Lord is gonna open up our hearts, our minds and take us to a life that we couldn't imagine. But it starts with returning to a heart of worship and knowing that life is ultimately about Him. And it'll start to, life will start to make a lot more sense. Let's be patient with this series. And I wanna challenge you to pray with me every day as we go through this series. I love you guys with all my heart. I'm excited about what God's doing and I'm thankful that God gives us the opportunity to know Him and to come back to Him. I'm thankful for His mercy and His grace. And if you need something to worship God about when we close this message, that simple reality is enough to worship for the rest of your lives. His patience, his grace, his mercy that he has with us every day.